0: Footnotes with your host Kevin Foot.
1: Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multi. Family Construction Simulcast on Stadium, 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline, 706-0111, 337-706-0111. Bizarre scene in Oakland last night. Locally, obviously, the most important thing is I don't quite get why they're doing the opener that's the second time they've done kind of an opener with with Hogan but he pitched last night not just well but very well seven innings four hits a run against the Rays the A's have now won seven in a row and how bizarre must that be for the players Like, you know, they've been in a kind of a strange situation all year long. But last night, you know, they actually had 28,000 people there. Many of them were wearing shirts that said sell. You know, they want them to sell the team. They don't like the way things are going. And I mean, I think everybody understands that. And, like, they're just chanting, sell the team. And, and, and it's just got to be a weird experience. Like, they're there finally, but they're not really behind you.
2: Not really. I mean, it's just weird. And then they beat the best team in baseball again.
1: Yes, because they're, they they're, they're they're due. They're still due. Oh, here we go. Nope. How are they not due? They were due, and then they won five l- in l- a row. L- l- but l- You don't l- really believe
2: that they're anywhere near as good as the Rays. Obvious. Okay, teams that aren't as good as other teams win all the time. That's the whole point of yeah, sports. Yeah, but not
1: only have they won seven in a row, every one of them have been with teams over 500. That's because wanted, they started no, this. Even with,
2: if you want to do the, the Piper was due for them to win a few games, then okay. But teams as bad as they are,
1: if they had 25 wins before this started, they would not have won seven in a row.
2: Okay. I don't think they They're just not that good. I don't think in theory they should have won seven in a row regardless, but they did. But that doesn't mean No, they they it's they it's should have impressive been due for a loss three nights ago by your standards.
1: They they just they they were they're not good at all. <laughs> but they weren't like they were on pace to be like the worst team in over a hundred years. To, I don't know that they were that bad. Maybe they were. Maybe they are in time, but – so they were due to get – do something right. They were due to get something out. The thing that's so bizarre about it is they play in a pitcher's part. Like, there's more – their hitting was bad, but it wasn't anywhere near historically bad. Their pitching was historically bad. But finally, they're like, they're getting pretty good pitching. Like, of late, like, they've been – they haven't had to score eight, ten runs to win any, the, all these games,
2: yeah, they so they're actually pitching well. They called on some raging Cajuns to get the job done for them. Now they actually also surpassed the Royals last night, uh, at least win percentage wise, because they've played two more games, but they have one more win and one more loss. So Man, they are the no Royals longer in last lost place. again. Yeah, they did.
1: What four, three, five, four, something like that to the Reds? Uh, again, we talked about it yesterday. We haven't really examined all the things that are going on with the Royals. But, man, I, I mean, I picked them. I have to go back and look. I think I picked them last. I either picked them last or second to last, the Royals. But I wasn't that down on them, and they have just been been miserable.
2: You know who's better than I really, really thought is Baltimore. I mean, they're really.
1: I they're good. They, well, what they've got is a bullpen like their bullpen yes. is really good and it's important to have a really good bullpen their starting pitching has been good I mean no they I think they're I think they're good I think a lot I think a lot of teams are, are good. I, I
2: thought they were going to hover around 500 Baltimore I didn't think they'd be bad but I thought they'd hover around 500 maybe if they had a couple hot streaks at the right time which again sometimes and even though you play 162 that's what it comes down to right who has a couple of big winning streaks but I mean they've they've been consistently I mean, and again, they're playing in the toughest division in baseball, which has a little bit less emphasis of scheduling. But, I mean, they're what, 18 games above 500? They beat the Blue Jays again yesterday? Just, it's been surprising. They, but, to me.
1: but, you know, I think they have, over the years, probably a little bit of a mental hang up with the Rays. Like, a couple years ago, the Rays beat them like, I don't know, it was like, they were like 18 and 1 or something crazy against them. Like, just lost like almost every game like that's almost impossible in baseball to do and I'm sure they've got their fair share of hang-ups with the Red Sox and the Yankees as well so like probably playing fewer division games not just because those teams are good just because of their their history against those teams in the last eight to ten years and all their bad baseball it probably is probably helpful and refreshing to them and um but no, there. There, I think most of us thought the. I think a lot of people thought the Orioles were were on an upward trend. They had good young players, like Rushman. Now Mountcastle just went on the IL. He got off to a really hot start. He's on my fantasy team. He hasn't done a whole lot lately, and then now he's on the IL. So we'll see how that goes. But look, th- there's not much better than things to have than a than a plus bullpen over the course of 162 games. They have a plus bullpen. It's also got to be fun. Aaron Hicks goes, to, you know, he just run out of town with the Yankees and he was been, he was miserable with the Yankees. So he goes to the A's, I mean, the Orioles, and he's actually hitting okay. He's not hitting great. He's hitting okay. He had a big home run last night. That's got to be – Um, that's always frustrating – my thing is, the Mets lost again last night. I don't know. Maybe Jake Mars would have called that ball. Jake Mars would have probably pulled up and let it hit. He wouldn't have even gotten as close as Nemo did. Uh, he, you know, he uh, he's probably he probably can recite you what his little fielding percentage is. But, um, but no, he the Mets lost again. Scherzer got lit again. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that not all, but especially in the Northeast. I'm thinking that most Mets fans are Jets fans.
2: Does that does that make sense? That's how it's that's how it goes, I think. In, yeah, in the, I think most, most Mets part, yeah.
1: fans are Jets fans. So, like I have a close friend, he's from New York State, not New York City, and he's a a Yankee and a Giants fan, which kind of makes sense. I think that's kind of how it goes. I'm sure there's a lot of exceptions, but that's kind of how it goes. So if you are a Jets fan right now, you're all excited, right? Because you got Aaron Rodgers and every like everything is looking tremendous. But three months ago, everything was looking tremendous for the Mets, too, on paper. Like they I heard the stat today. There are 12 teams in Major League Baseball that don't have as much money on their whole team as the Mets have just on their starting rotation. Not the whole pitching staff, just the starting rotation. They have more money invested in just their starting rotation than 12 other entire teams in Major League Baseball, almost half the league. And their ERA is over five. They've been miserable. So, man, again, my biggest question about the Mets going into the season is their bull, I didn't love their bullpen even when they had Diaz. Then once he got hurt in the World Baseball Classic and he's out for the year, their bullpen is not good. Like, they blow leads all the time. And now they're starting out. Now, I still think their starting pitching is going to – it's got to get better. I mean, these guys, I mean, they can't be that bad. Um I'd be surprised if Verlander doesn't pitch well tonight. It's Verlander and Cole, I think, today. Um, Two ex-Ashiro pitchers going against each other. Um, But, I mean, if you're a, you know, the Mets Jets fan is not all that different from an old-school Saints fan. It's like they kind of have that whatever can go wrong is going to go wrong mentality. So, if you're a Jets fan and you had all these high hopes for the Mets and the season as of now is not looking good. Now, again, let's put this in perspective. I didn't look this morning, but what are they like? Four games out of the playoffs. You know, know, are they doing – do they look bad? Yes. Are they playing bad? Yes. They're they're like four games out of the playoffs and we're not even close to July yet. Like, you know, again – in 2005 the Astros were 15 and 30 and made the World Series. Now that doesn't happen all the time. I get that, but four games out and playing bad in June is not quite the um debacle that a lot of people are are making it look like or seem like. But if you're if you, when you had the hopes that they had then you're really depressed right now. So I wonder how many of those people are thinking we're all high on the Jets. Are they fixing to do the same thing to us? I mean, are, are, are we – They some of them have got to be thinking, man, are we overrating how good the Jets are going to be just because we're all excited about Aaron Rodgers? I just wonder – and I know I'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, but my expectation is that – the Jets' defense, they keep saying they're a top-five defense, and I think they're a good defense. But my expectation or kind of slash prediction is the defense is not going to be a top-ten defense this year. It, it's not going to be bad, but I think everyone – the people who are thinking they're about to go to the Super Bowl, i I, I think they're assuming they're going to have a top-five defense again this year. I don't really think they're going to have that. And one of the main reasons why is they had a really easy schedule. Now, again, this isn't college football. I'm not saying it was a given. I just think think that they're going to play more explosive offenses this year, and it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to be a quote-unquote top-five defense again. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be good. And it also doesn't mean they can't force turnovers and actually be a more effective defense in terms of producing wins and losses or wins as opposed to losses, especially now that they have a, you know, a great quarterback compared to what they had at, quarter, at the quarterback position last year, which was just, you know, it was, it was probably the worst quarterback play in the whole NFL, I would think, last year, the Jets quarterback play. So, you know, whether you hate Aaron Rodgers or, or, or love him, I mean, there's no arguing that that is like a humongous increase there. So, I don't know. The whole Jets-Mets thing is interesting, fascinating um, scenario there as we um, start to get, you know, kind of into football season with baseball. All right. When we come back, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, I want us – we only have three days left for this week. And I want us to identify – a couple of the college football coaches um, underrated. Now we're going to talk about the best ones ever, and I, we want to educate ourselves a little bit on some of these. But, but I, but I want to. Well, first we're going to obviously talk college baseball uh, with Cokie Riley. But later in the hour, I want us to start thinking about some of these underrated college football coaches and come up and, uh, and identify two or three for sure um before we end the week but for now we'll take a time out and be back stay tuned
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We have with us Cokie Riley of the USA Today Network. How
3: are you, sir? Doing well. How's it going?
1: Well, uh, you know, we talked all season long, and and uh, here we are now. It's Omaha Week, and the, and the Tigers are there. I don't think it's anything of a huge surprise, but, you know... I know here locally with the Cagers, everything we talked about—no pitching, no pitching—at the end of the year, the pitching was really good, and we talked about pitching trouble, pitching trouble with LSU. And towards the end of the year, the hitting has been there like they thought, but the pitching has been good enough too as well.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, especially with the bullpen. Look at a guy like Riley Cooper. Look at a guy like Gavin Guidry. Um and they've just really stepped up. They've been excellent. Um, in the, they, they were excellent. Uh, in the regional, and they were even better in the super regional. And I, I think just they didn't even need them to be shut out good in that last game against Kentucky, that that clincher in the supers. But they were. I mean, five and two thirds combined from those two guys to um, close out that win and send LSU um, to the College World Series. So yeah, I mean, the bullpen's just been getting a little bit better each and every week. Um, and it's not just those two guys. I mean, a guy like Nate Ackenheim is pretty reliable. Griffin Herring, um, of course, after her in his 12 strikeouts against Oregon State. So um, I, I think this bullpen has become has has sort of gotten to the level where uh, at least they're playing like it in terms of just getting to that at least respectable level where they're not, you know, forcing the offense to drag this team through the mud. Right? Um, there's there's just there's there's been a consistency over the last three or four weeks, that, and and a slight improvement. That's very very promising if you're an LSU fan.
1: Now, in terms of the way the park is going to be, and the atmosphere, and the pressure, all all those things impact performance on the field. It seems like on paper, playing in Omaha is going to help the pitching staff, maybe not qu- quite as much the offense. How do you kind of see that playing out?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think the park in Omaha really helps a guy like, uh, for example, Ty Floyd, because we, we know that Ty's a fly ball pitcher, and we know that fly balls get batted down in that ballpark, um, and it's a much bigger ballpark. And um, if he can get off his breaking ball, I think Ty Floyd can be very effective at Charles Schwab Field because it, it, he's he gives, he throws a lot of high fastballs, gives up a lot of fly balls, and those fly balls, a lot of those play, plays are going to get caught, or they're just going to be doubles instead of home runs. And I mean, he gave three home runs against Kentucky and the supers. Didn't look very good. Um, had trouble sort of had trouble like locating and snapping off his breaking ball, but he fought, tried to fight through it despite giving up the three solo shots, and only went three and a third in that start. But um, if I mean, if he goes out there and, uh, you know, gets a better handle at breaking ball in Omaha and I, I would assume he would start Monday uh, there. You have to feel good about um, a guy like him in this, in a situation in the ballpark like that. So um, yeah, I think that's going to help him. I think it's going to help Paul Skeens. I think it's going to help really the rest of the guys uh, that hurt some of the guys who's up a decent amount of home runs and, um, I, I think the bigger ballpark can help him as well. so uh, yeah, and then offensively, I think it's gonna be really key to see how many of these uh, high high fly balls, these deep shots turn into home runs and how many of them turn into doubles or flyouts or triples even. Um, hitting the ball in the line is gonna be pretty important uh, heading into the series so um, and and I, and I think, well, the interesting thing about this matchup is that it's not like Tennessee is a team that's really going to take advantage of the park either. I mean, they hit a lot of high fly balls, and they're very reliant on the home run to generate offense for them, for, for them too. And then obviously, they play in that really small park up in Knoxville as well. So um, these are two pretty home run-reliant teams offensively. Uh, which one of them can either hit the ball so far that doesn't matter or you know turn those home runs into productive doubles and triples. Like whichever team has the better ratio, that is probably going to win this game, and that's going to be and that's going to be really something to watch um, in a matchup like that.
1: A team like LSU doesn't need to run. Um, do you feel like? I've noticed over the years in the major leagues, for sure, once you get to the postseason, even a lot of times teams that do run don't run. Like, it becomes a lot more station to station. Do you kind of feel like it'll be that way, or do you think a lot of these teams will try to run because the home run is not going to maybe be as prevalent as it is in their normal home ballpark?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting theory and an interesting case. Yeah. Um... Personally, I, I think the reason why teams don't run quite as much in the playoffs, um, when you could be seeing some bunting, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked at that. Like some low risk bunting situations, you know, runners on first and second, and you have the number eight whole hitter off, and it might only be the third inning, but maybe you just bunt and try to get those runners across, runners up a base. A Granted, I wouldn't do that personally, but I do think it's something that teams could do. But anyway, um, in terms of stealing bases and uh, even you know trying to pull off hitting runs and stuff like that, I, I think the reason why teams just don't do that as much in postseason play is because there's just an inherent risk to getting the guy getting thrown out at second or third base that you just don't want to take, and when the stakes are that high, right? So um, I, I think that would probably be the number one reason. There's just like there were probably there's probably just a sense of fear that you don't want to – a guy thrown out in scoring position um, when you're in such a do-or-die situation.
1: Now, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but you obviously have followed LSU way, way closer than I have. So because they're such a great offensive team, I wouldn't think opponents have done a lot of bunting against them. Do you feel like they're really good at that, or could that be a defensive question in in this World Series?
3: I think it can be a defensive question. I'm not. I don't think Tennessee's going to do that too much against them. Um, I, that was sort of a concern heading into the Kentucky series. Because uh, Kentucky was bunting on them quite a bit, and LSU's defense wasn't reacting terribly well against it. Uh, but really, the number one reason why I say that, outside of even that, you know, first series against Kentucky, is because. I mean, Tommy White's just not a very good defensive third baseman, and um, he lacks the mobility you want at that position. He lacks consistency with his hands, uh, just feeling the ball cleanly. Uh, Positionally, they do a decent job of you know getting him prepared for that, and you know start trying to you know obviously just position the defense to where you know it just makes life easier for a guy like him, or Jordan Thompson, or Gavin Dugas to make plays. But um, combine just. White's inconsistencies and all the errors he's had at third base with a guy like Kevin Dukas who's playing her at second. Uh, and you get a middle, you have an infield that is susceptible to potentially, you know, making some errors. And Trey Morgan's obviously a plus first baseman defensively. And Jordan Thompson made that incredible play in the hole uh, in the clinching win for LSU against Kentucky. But when your third baseman, uh, especially when your third baseman is, uh, has struggled, defensively the entire season and struggles with mobility um at that position then it's it, it does make life more difficult in sort of small ball situations but I don't know if that's going to be a focus of the Tennessee game um so I I I, I, I think that they're going to be they can survive with him there and they've tried to survive with him there really the entire season
1: All right, so, look, any matchup in the College World Series is going to be great and exciting and all that, but when you're playing not just an SEC team, but one that is as volatile and emotional and competitive as Tennessee is, because LSU is always, you know, kind of a competitive, uh, high-energy kind of team as well, so... I mean, I don't know that you could get – I'm not saying Tennessee's the best team, but I don't know if you could get a more exciting matchup in this field than LSU versus Tennessee because of the, the mental and emotional makeup of these two teams.
3: I think the only I, – I think that's a really good point, and I think we kind of saw how um, revved up like both teams and the crowd especially – um, can be the last time LSU played against Tennessee. I mean, I think LSU set the Alex Fox Stadium record for most state for most most fans at a game, um, and I, I think more fans went to that first Tennessee game than than they did for the Super Regional. So that also kind of gives you an idea of just how pumped up people were, uh, players included, as you said, uh, for LSU versus Tennessee. You know, schemes versus Dollander, like all all those all those uh, sort of storylines. Uh, Jay Johnson versus Tony Vitello, like all that really, really interesting stuff. Um, But I I do want to see how the nation would react to an LSU versus Wake Forest or an LSU versus Florida or Florida versus Wake Forest, right? Because to me, those are the three best teams in the country, Uh, LSU, Florida, and Wake Forest. And I think Wake Forest is uh, probably maybe a half step above Florida and LSU in terms of favorites to win the title. But I think those are the three favorites. And I can see any of those three things, three teams winning the whole thing. And and I, and I do, especially think an LSU versus Florida matchup potentially in the final would would just be gangbusters in terms of ratings, in terms of excitement for both teams, in terms of uh, storylines. I mean, you're talking about the top three players uh, likely to be selected in this year's MLB draft, all facing all potentially playing in the same game in that game one two of the top three playing for up to three games against each other in a row. So that would be absolutely insane. Um, uh, the intensity obviously would already be through the roof because it would be a final. But, uh, again, this is all theoretical. Like, it, it, right. There's a lot of baseball to be had before this would happen. But um, I, I, I think I want, to, I want to keep that in the back of my mind. I want to keep the back of my mind uh, a potential LSU-Wake Forest matchup on – uh, on this upcoming Monday. Uh, that would be really really interesting those are the, the the only two teams in the country that have been number one this season going up against each other uh two teams that have won in three different in very different ways um, I'm, i I would be I, I would be absolutely pumped up for that matchup as well but of course as you said especially if Dollinger pitches on Saturday which is a possibility but not a guaranteed um I, I, I really I I also agree with you that you know this LSU Tennessee matchup in front of twenty thousand something fans, twenty six thousand something fans would be, um, it would be probably the most hyped up matchup out of all the first round uh, matchups here in this college. No, career. no,
1: I agree. All right, so besides LSU, Florida, and Wake Forest, who in your mind is the most dangerous other team?
3: It's probably Tennessee. Um, Tennessee or TCU. I think TCU just given how hot they've been, they've won 11 in a row. They already had the talent to make it here. We knew that heading into the season. They just didn't play up that standard until the very end of the year, right? So um, I think they have to be uh, put in consideration here. Uh, But I think Tennessee, just with the fact that they were the number two team in the country heading into the season, and yeah, they're not ranked, and they weren't a top eight seed the way Stanford was, but I just feel like this team is just so dangerous. They can... Obviously, they could hit the ball as long as they hit the ball well enough, which uh, isn't always the case for them, as we saw in the SEC tournament. Um, they have a younger lineup, of course, uh, so I, it, it, they're going to have to. Those bats are going to have to perform in that bigger ballpark. So that's probably that's easily the biggest question they have. But you know, we know that the pitching is good enough to beat anyone and deep enough to survive a loss in this double elimination format. So. Um, I, I think that's huge, right? So even if they lose to LSU, they're not done, right? Because then they can just throw Dollander or Lindsay or whoever uh, in that game two on Monday and not sweat about it as much as, say, if LSU lost. Because if LSU lost the teams on the mound, it would look really dark for them for the rest of the, for the, rest of the tournament. Um, so I, I, I think this game means a lot more to LSU, this cup of this upcoming game because if Tennessee loses, I, I don't think they're done um, just given the just because of the pitching depth that they have. They probably outside of week forest they probably have the best pitching depth left in the field and um, I, I guess if you want to pick like a really uh, like a darker dark horse, I think Virginia maybe could make a run. It's not impossible like that side that is the weaker side of the bracket probably uh, the Florida TCU Virginia oral Roberts side. And we have to give at least some credit and a shout out to Oral Roberts because uh, at, heading into this tournament, they were one of the best teams in the nation at scoring runs and preventing runs. And you kind of poo-pooed that because of the competition they were playing up against, but they were legit. Like when you stop teams from scoring runs and you score a lot of runs yourself, you're good. Um, even if the even if you're not playing SEC competition all the time, and you know you, you get some of the right matchups and you can make a run and they got some of the right matchups and they made a run. So here they are in the college world series. You got to give them credit for that. Um, and Stanford really quickly, like offensively, they're one of the, the most dangerous teams in this field. And um, if they can really get those bats rolling and kind of defy the bigger ballpark uh, in Omaha, you never know about them too. Maybe they can give stamp maybe they can give Wake Force trouble in that first game. So um, it's, it's a really, really interesting field, and a field like filled with top contenders. Right, LSU, number one team in the nation heading into the season. Uh, Tennessee was number two. I think Wake Forest was somewhere between three and five and three, three and five. Um, Stanford, top ten team. Yeah, uh, a lot of contenders. Florida, top ten team. So, and this is just heading into the season. That's not even you know the midway point or anything like that. Right. TCU, top twenty-five team. So, just a lot of contenders. Um, in Omaha this
1: year. It's, it should be a lot, a lot of fun. We appreciate your time as always, sir. Enjoy it.
0: Thank you so much. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111 on this Wednesday. Day two of the Astros series against the Nationals. Uh, Hunter Brown pitched very well. I really think Hunter Brown's last couple outings, he was a little unlucky. He didn't pitch great, but... He didn't pitch nearly as bad as the stats indicated, and so that it was good to see with that uh, he pitched well. Abreu is not pitching bad, but he's given up. He's had several outings recently where he's given up runs, so hopefully he's just going through a midseason thing, and that will will get better. We'll hopefully the Astros can win his. You know, I I hope the Nationals got off. You know about. A week and a half ago, I remember looking and the Nationals were just like three or four games under 500. I'm like, man, they're playing pretty well because I thought they were going to be, I thought their lineup looked about as bad as the A's and maybe even worse than the Royals on paper going into the season. And then, but lately they've been scuffling. They've only won like one of their last eight or nine games and. Hopefully the Astros can get a sweep of them at home and let them get out of town and go get closer to 54 against somebody else. But, um, they, um, we'll see, we'll see how that plays out And then You know, the Reds are this weekend and Reds are certainly not a great team and hopefully the Astros can pitch well at home and beat them. So, Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0-1-1-1. Look, I, I don't know that I disagree with anything that Koki said, but uh, because after the talking, the back and forth that Dawson and I have brought up and things that we brought up over the last few days and then hearing what Koki's perspective is on the World Series field – to me, Virginia is becoming the most interesting team to me to kind of to watch, just because something tells me they're a little better than the perception is. Uh, and so I'm anxious to see how they're really gonna perform. Um again, if they were two and I wouldn't be shocked. And if they were 0 and two, I wouldn't be shocked either. I, I I kind of feel like they've got a little more than some people are suggesting, and yet they have a history of, of, you know, not getting that game done. And to be fair, they're, you know, you could argue they're playing the first, second, or third best team, first or second best team. We'll see how it plays out. You know, they, don't, they certainly don't have an easy first-round matchup. But they're the team that, as I'm hearing people talk, I, I think a lot of people are kind of not really focusing on, and uh, I'm going to be anxious to see how they play in Omaha. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello.
4: What are you doing, sir? Good. Hey, this is Craig from Nigeria. Uh, this is not even sports-related, but maybe somewhat. Okay. Uh, I know uh, James Mesh does not really believe in the Piper. Not sure, I think maybe Delo's on the fence. However, the Piper seems to make his appearance even in music, and I'm just gonna give you an example. I'm a little bit younger, so I like, you know, different type of bands, Rush, Tool, and uh, Tool has a side band called A Perfect Circle. There's a song called and Down the River where he makes reference to the Piper Specifically, twice in the song. He says, Pied Piper, float on down the river, and float the Piper by and down the river. I just wanted to give you that little nugget this morning. <laughs> okay. Just to all the people who don't believe in the Piper, the Piper is real. He will get paid, and he even makes appearances in song there. Uh,
1: okay. <laughs> Thanks for the call. By <laughs> the way, I appreciate it. He mentioned Rush. I saw a an interview years ago. I don't even remember what the name of the program was might've been, this was a long time ago, but Getty Lee was the, the in, getting interviewed and, and he's dead now, but he, he and, and, and part of the interview was how big of a baseball fan he was. And so I, I, the member of rush and, and I think he, he actually became a Cub fan because obviously as a musician you work a lot at night and he was um he had a lot of free afternoons and I think he grew up like a um he's from Canada, but I think he, he grew up a I don't remember if it was an expo or a blue jays fan, but and but kinda became went to a lot of games at Wrigley Field and kinda became a Cub fan and he he might understand the Piper, pretty bright, analytical guy. I don't I don't I don't know if he liked the Piper or not, if he believed in it or not. I love when yeah, Dawson and, just gets too much and he just shakes his head. Yeah, well,
2: no, it. <laughs> there's there's some concepts here that have some real life. That's why I'm not going to go f- flat out and and just dismiss it all. But there's certain things again, like like this Oakland streak. I think is a great example of it. You, you they. By the Piper logic, a team that's as poor as they are talent and skill wise, while you may say they were due to win some games, that's fine. But once they, they won three or four They still are once they won three or four in a row, they were certainly due to lose again because their talent should be showing itself. Well it they continue is. to win but because it's once once they get up to
1: where they're not on pace to be like the worst team in a hundred years and to get there once they get to where they're on pace to I think they'll fall back down to earth and be what they are. But all right, we have to take a timeout, but I'm gonna I'll have to ask um Dawson if he gets one of the other things we talk a lot about on this show. For now, we'll take a timeout. Be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How much does foot despise the San Francisco 49ers? Well, you be the judge. I love turning 50 because
1: I was no longer a 49er.
0: Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: All right welcome back to footnotes. I have gotten multiple texts since the last segment to inform me of a problem that I, I every day or I don't know about every day but every couple of weeks I get reminded that I I'm developing a theory I have an issue and first of all the the the, the texts were about the fact that Getty Lee is not dead Neil Pert is dead but I don't even know for sure if that's why I made that mistake. I've had this problem for years in recent years. My theory of, of thinking people are dead when they're not really dead. And like it's a running joke with me and some of my friends on the text group is like, um, it's like that guy, was so-and-so died, but I mean, that guy was already dead. Well, no, he wasn't. I, and they're like, I know, Kevin, you think the guy's dead already. And I really think what happens is I have these dreams and I rem- of, of seeing reports of people dying, and I often confuse whether it's real or not real, like because I I can see the report that Getty Lee died in my mind.
2: Uh, do you see? Is this what you also see when you see a team not scoring any runs because they're overdue? Is that? Is oh that no, that's work? a completely. different – Gosh, answer. I hope you don't see any reports of any like catastrophic incident. I mean, gee, how 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 strong are your powers here? I'm concerned no, I, now. I don't have powers. I just <laughs> I,
1: I just I'm telling you. I think. It happens to me all the time. Someone dies, or or I think is dead, and they're like, or they, I'm like, that guy already died, or that lady. I guess it's good
2: that they're actually not dead. Yeah, you're not having the dream, and then they're not. So okay. Yeah. Um, I think I I have a question in the break for you about the Piper having an expiration date. I think I know how you're going to answer this, um, but does there is there an expiration date? In order, you know, in essence, uh, if a team's really hot heading into the All Star break. Is that is that, you know, now do they get a pass because, you know, they didn't play for six or seven days? Wake Forest is another example that's being brought up. Um, and I know you feel it's a little bit different in college anyway. But yeah,
1: well, you know, the all star break is an interesting fat deal. Uh, v- v- very interesting. I, I. I still think it it. it it plays over but if i'm going to score a bunch of runs if i'm going to have one of these stupid games where you get 20 hits and win 15 to 6 or whatever i um i think i'd rather have it the sunday before the all-star break but but i really think that that i really think that that carries over i i don't know that days off shouldn't impact it because i mean you 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 can only get For so long, you can only get that bloop single with two outs that scores two runs as opposed to the line drive right at the center fielder with two outs that doesn't score any runs when you actually did a bet, you can only get that so many times. Like – it just you know, or you hit a ground ball and it just goes to the right of the sec, a foot to the right of the second baseman instead of being a double play or a big out, it's a it's a two run single on a four hopper. Um, you know, you only get that so often, uh, and so I, I, I don't I don't think the days off should be. But if I'm going to score that many runs, it's a great point. I would rather do it the Sunday before the All Star break. The All Star Break is fascinating to me, I, in terms of whether you pick up your momentum or, or or not. Like I do think, as a team, if you go into the All Star Break, you lose your momentum, especially if you're a really good team and you have a lot of guys that participate in the All Star Game. Um, it, it, it can it can mess you up. Now, this because he brought that up, and we only have about two minutes, but because he brought that up. This is about three weeks ahead of time to ask you that question, but because he brought it up, I'm going to go ahead and use it. Do you Are you a guy that likes or doesn't like your favorite players, and I know you like players outside the Astros, or your, or your favorite team having guys in the home run derby?
2: Um, so I feel kind of like that the way I do about hard knocks. I understand that there might be a drawback to it, from a competitive standpoint, but I also enjoy entertaining things more often. So I usually am a fan of it.
1: I I enjoy watching and try to watch the home run derby. Believe it or not, I I do. I like the home run derby, but I don't ever want an Astro in it.
2: Well, I also I don't know if there's ever really been and and I'm sure someone's done a study on this, there's not clear evidence one way or the other, though. I think we've seen guys go in the home run derby and then have great second halves, but we have seen guys start to struggle. I... Yeah, There's I really guys you put on shows in batting practice before every game. I don't know if you're, you know, yeah, you're exerting some extra energy on one night. I just don't know if it's like, oh, is this guy all of a sudden have a change and a hole in his swing now because he's competes in the home run if derby? If you're a great I
1: hitter, I do not want you in a home run derby. If you're a power hitter, I'm okay with it. There, there's a difference. Like, I, if I, if you know, I, I wouldn't want a power, I w- I would want a guy who's going to hit 250, but hit 40 bombs. How okay? But a guy who's really a great hitter, and 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 his greatness as a hitter is not based on how many home runs he hits. So as much, I wouldn't want that guy in a home run derby. I just wouldn't want him there. That's just me. I love the home run derby. No Astros. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned.
0: Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Yeah. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote.
1: Welcome. In two footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game broadcasting live on the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. You can watch Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS 5. Or again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337 706 O one 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 once again in about fifteen minutes or so. We're gonna have a conversation with longtime Lafayette High baseball coach Sam Tully who is um recently retired and um again I'm getting old and my career as a sports writer in, in, in Lafayette kind of began when coach Tully got here. Um, And it was – um. so I certainly identify with how long he has been coaching in this parish, and uh, he's highly respected, and obviously his passion for the game and his passion for – you know, he's known for, like, being the guy who takes care of the grass and the fields and – Uh, Just his passion for the the behind-the-scenes things that have to get done is pretty legendary in these parts, so look forward to talking to him. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the College World Series, Major League Baseball. Again, if you did not hear... Hogan Harris, former St. Thomas Moore and Cajun pitcher, he didn't start the game, but he pitched seven innings, gave up four hits and only one run, and was a huge factor. In the A's beating the Rays 2-1. to Again, they were on pace about three weeks or so ago. They were just a hair under the pace of being like giving up more runs than any team since I think it was the nineteen. We looked it up, like the nineteen thirty or thirty two, somewhere in there in the early thirties. Um, Philadelphia A's had they had it's like they were going to be the in the last hundred years they were going to maybe maybe they were just under the pace. Well. Two-to-one wins are not going to help them get to that point, and they've been pitching much better lately. Um, it's going to be interesting because they have a few good pieces, but they normally do a lot of trading. I, I, I don't know that they're going to trade a lot of these Um, because some of them are so young, and they're not really due to make a lot of money. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, no, it's fun to see Hogan pitch that well. I've joked before. You know, I don't know how it was when you were growing up, but a lot of times we had teachers over the years that would drop your lowest grade. You would drop one lowest grade. And if you did that for a whole – like his ERA now, I think I looked it up after last night was 484 maybe. But even that is deceiving because that first outing he had was kind of rushed and it was weird and and it was against the Mets and and it didn't – it was a disaster. But it really skewed how well he's pitched since he's been up because all his other outings have been good. Some of them have been really good, like last night. So his ERA is down you know, it was at like at 162 or whatever it was after his first outing, which really, when you look at on the totality of what he's done so far, it's still a very small sample size, but every other outing he's pitched pretty well. and some of them he's pitched very well. So even the 484 is a little deceiving. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good
5: morning. Good morning. Kevin, i got a question. I don't know the answer. Maybe you can tell me. Has there ever been a rookie to win the MVP before? Fred Lynn
1: in 1975 was the uh, MVP and a rookie of the year at the same time. I don't know that it's been done since then, uh, but I'm pretty sure Fred Lynn was the first to do it in 75.
5: That kid out there in Arizona might be doing that this year.
1: Who are you talking about? Carroll, yeah, Corbin Corbin Carroll. Carroll, You don't see his numbers. Oh, he's good, no question. He was considered when we were doing fantasy. Like when most of the most of the um, like guy, okay, minor leaguers or guy, you know, rookies who could make a big fantasy impact. He was either one, two, or three on just about any list you look at going into. You know, back in February and March, so yeah, it's not a shock to how well he's done. He even had a stint on the IL, but he's come back and for a while there, he wasn't running much. But uh yeah, he—he—I he, don't think he's really going to be the MVP. But he, you know, he—he's really good, and that team is pretty good.
5: Well, like I said, he got him. Well, he's going to bring Rookie the Year. But you already, he's going to be, go get both the MVP, and probably their pitcher might be get a side young. I mean, go figure the, the D backs. Kevin, I know you like, uh, you, you look at trends and everything. That, how many times have we seen it, especially in baseball, where a team is really good one year and they got great expectations, they lose or something bad happens to them, and then next year they don't have this those, uh, the same, everybody's not saying they're the best team ever and they win it. But I mean, don't you see like Tennessee fits that bill this year? I think that's very scary because of that reason there.
1: You know what I always think about? The yeah. year after Jamaican. That's my that's the example yeah. that always comes to my mind when I think about that stuff.
5: Yeah, me too. I mean look and <laughs> hey, look, I, I I really think is better than them and everything like that. And I and I don't think Tennessee's close to the best team there team there because but people are not seeing that. You know, and everything they look at what happened last year with them. They are, they're the type that pulls the child for that kind of thing, the year after Jamaican thing. They are that.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it'll be interesting. And, again, they do a lot of things well. And we talked about um, Koki and, and, and Dawson talked about their depth of pitching. No, I, I don't think – no, I think some people think there's only one or two teams, you know, or maybe three teams that are head and shoulders. I don't know about head and shoulders. I think there's some. I think Tennessee is interesting. I think Virginia is interesting. TCU, the way they're playing, I'm not taking them as seriously as some, but they've certainly been playing well. So you got to respect the hot team. And no, I think there's a lot of teams that I think there's going to be at least one team and maybe even two that are two and zero that a lot of people are gonna be surprised about.
5: I can see that happening too, and you know another thing. If you saw that Timpson, that that Tennessee Clemson game, and that regional game, you might understand right there. Maybe Tennessee is a team of destiny destiny because they they should have not won that game at
1: all. Oh no, you're you're correct. I saw a lot of that game. You're correct. Yes. All right, I appreciate it. Um. No, the the question I was going to ask before we got sidetracked with my saying that Getty Lee is dead and he's not dead, but um, was, how, how are you on the concept of medicine seasons?
2: Some good logic there. So you're um, okay with it? Yeah, I don't know if I believe in all the intricacies about it that you do and some of the extenuating circumstances that contribute to it that you've suggested. But the overall concept, um, I think it is very difficult to now, and I've also told you, that I'm not a fan of the team that kind of comes out of nowhere in professional sports leagues. Uh, the team that doesn't sort of pay their dues a little bit by being a team that's pretty good and then takes the next step to being elite and winning titles. Like, I don't like those teams as much. I don't know why. Um, so I'm actually kind of happy sometimes when a team like that gets a medicine season if they actually do win a title. Um but, no, I think, look, everything you kind of and, – and there's layers to it. And I rejoined, explained some of the layers, and you've kind of talked about some of the others. Um, but when a team does come out of nowhere and does something that's very difficult to do or hasn't done in a long time, um, sometimes I think there's, like, real-life factors that are draining about that and, like, all the rushes of emotions that kind of come to it. And a lot of times the reason that those teams are – Doing things that haven't been done in forever or are overachieving is because they are overachieving their actual, you know, theoretical abilities and talent levels. Um, so I think a lot of times that can happen. Now I think, I think medicine season, yeah, especially we see it all the time in the NFL for teams that get to the Super Bowl that you know, and and this isn't even always teams that weren't supposed to be there or anything like that. I mean, the team that loses the Super Bowl we've we've kind of seen in recent history doesn't have a good. Track that's like
1: right a first. It. That's like a first cousin. Issue, And I I don't know that I've totally wrapped my mind around that one yet. It's not like totally under the medicine season, but it kind of is. I mean, it's a a fascinating uh, situation that teams find themselves in.
2: No, yeah. And I mean, look, the the Cubs had prime medicine season. They've had kind of a medicine decade, right? I mean, after they ended that curse. Um, It's just difficult. Yeah, and I think a lot of, like, I do think part of it is, I think those Cubs players and fans uh, well players, the fans weren't playing, felt pressure like, and, and when they won, like because again, it's this crazy you know historic franchise that's been so bad and had so many bad breaks and I think they felt that. When they beat Cleveland, I think it was like this big relief and we've already talked about how difficult it is in baseball, which is why you know anytime I get a chance to add in what the Astros have done in the past six years is unbelievable. Like, that's such a relief, and then when you get to that next season and you go, we finally did it, and then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, all 29 other teams are locked in and ready to take you down, and you have to try to find that same level of focus. And then, of course, roster issues came into it as well, and they weren't able but like that. I think that's a big part of it. And the Cubs, I mean, they weren't, like, terrible the next year. They went back and had postseason runs again, but I do think there's something to that, yes.
1: Oh, it, yeah, and again, I understand Jose Abreu's been awful this year, and and, you know montero's been awful but the Astros were going to have a little bit of a hangover now I, I think that I I fully expect that they're going to I also think when you play that many games that there's some fa- a fatigue factor in the beginning of the next year mentally and physically so I think you're, the fact that they got off to a slow start is not a big deal at all now again you gotta once they get back from the all-star break they've got to get some ducks in a row that haven't been there. And I, and, and you kind of feel like they will, at least I'm, you know, maybe I'm falsely assuming that, but I'm assuming that they are kind of start playing better, but that there is that carry over to the next season. And if you've never been through it, then a lot of times you just don't handle that well. And I think that's, that's a huge part after doing the banquet circuit and you're the hero forever. It's just almost impossible when you've not done it before, to be a hero the whole offseason and then be as hungry as you were when you get to camp as you were the year before when you had never done it before. It's almost impossible.
2: And another candidate, this is more on the thing that I was saying about the losers. I think I think the Miami Heat are a perfect example of a team that's that's gonna have expectations that are going to be put higher. And again, like we have to understand they overachieve tremendously in the postseason. Now they're gonna make roster and I I think they have to make roster decisions about what happened in the regular season. Now, that's the other thing, to Remember, I talk about when the playoffs and people referencing how good a team is and they're thinking about the regular season, and I go, that's not that team right now for that playoff run. Now, when the dust settles and an off offseason's about to happen and you have to refocus and get ready for another season, I think the front office needs to make decisions more about what happened for most of the year than what happened in the, the magic that was the month that they played great because I think, again, a lot of guys overachieved what they're truly going to be in the league. And they need another superstar or another – I don't want to say superstar because that era is kind of changed. They need another great player next to Butler and Adebayo. And I would not be surprised if Miami's, like, in a similar spot that they were this year, like, above 500 by a little bit, battling for a last playoff spot because the way that roster's constructed, I don't see them just carrying over this momentum and being great for most of the year.
1: No, I, I think you're correct. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back on the other side – Long-time Lafayette High baseball coach Sam Tully. Looking forward to talking to him next. Stay tuned.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day... Every day, you're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot. on the Game. We have with us longtime Lafayette High baseball coach Sam Tully. How are you, sir?
6: Doing well this morning, Kevin. How's, How's things over there?
1: Are we kind of relaxing and breathing or are we not real good at doing that just yet?
6: Um, I'm good at relax not, not as good as my dog. she's just laying on my lap watching the price is right <laughs> I'm just uh I'm just sitting here chilling I,
1: I understand. all right so I was saying before uh, in the last segment, I got hired at the Daily Advertiser in 1983 and kind of started covering high school sports 84, 85, 86 and 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 so that was all about the time that you kind of came to the Cadiana area so my career as a sports writer's kind of totally mirrored your you know the time that you, all the years you've been here when you got here um I mean, did you ever imagine that you would be here in Lafayette this long, or was that the plan? That was the plan.
6: Uh, when I graduated from USL in 1975, uh, it was hard to find teaching positions with Lafayette Parish School Board, and uh, there was a, a glut of teachers. Unlike now, well, we can't find them. And uh, I always wanted to get back to Lafayette. It took ten years, and when I finally got the opportunity, and 1984 and I got the job at Lafayette high I I was done I knew I was where I was where I wanted to be
1: you, when you you know you would they had just at that time they had just come out of the you know an era of really good Lafayette high teams you know the Rover shows and Todd Thomas and 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 and, and that group and you were coming from a very successful, um baseball program that still is pretty in berwick so talk about th- those years
6: yeah uh actually we uh we were playing each other a couple of times uh right before uh, in that era and the, uh i got to see the uh Robert shows and todd thomas play and uh and you're right they had some outstanding teams we had a, a couple of good teams at berwick and uh and uh, it was always a great game, great rivalry, and uh, I enjoyed uh, the strategy of the game going up against uh, uh, Lafayette High, and uh, they did a great job, <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed uh, going against their guys. So it was it was two similar programs, and we both coached uh, in, you know about the same way.
1: Now you you went to Shaw, correct? Yes, sir. So, did you? Were you like baseball? Played high school in baseball and plan on being a baseball coach your, your whole life from the time you were a kid, or how did that go?
6: Uh, played baseball all my life growing up. Uh, always was playing catch with my dad in the backyard. Uh, when I got to Shaw, I was fortunate enough to get on the varsity and, and play for four years. And then when I went to USL, the first year I was majoring in business. And after the first semester, I realized that was not what I wanted to do. So then I changed my major to uh, physical education, and, uh, and, and that was it. Uh, I, I wanted something where I, I knew I was not going to be stuck behind a desk all day. I was able to move around and get outside.
1: Again, we're speaking with uh, long-time Lafayette High head baseball coach Sam Tully who recently retired. So are you – I don't think – I think there's a lot of guys who played with you and coached with you or were fans on the Booster Club, seen you work all these years, That and several of them have told me, I don't really know if I'll buy this. Like, do you know how to – like, they don't really believe that you're really retired. Here. <laughs> um.
6: No, they. That's the ones that know me really well. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to be dabbling. Uh, I told them uh, the last day of school. I told them, "Look, if y'all need a substitute teacher or something, call me. I'll help out." If, if y'all, you know, running short on teachers for a few days, or if I uh, if I need to go out and help, I'm still cutting grass and stuff. Uh, they they putting the new lights up on the football field. Uh, as we speak, and so I'm going to try to get out there when they finish and cut grass and spray and try to get that football field ready for the next football coach.
1: So you're not applying for that job? Is that accurate? <laughs> the,
6: the football job? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I, uh, I, had, uh, I I had, applied for a football job one time when I was at Port Sulphur when Donnie Perron left to go to Port Barry. And uh, that was the last time I applied for a football job.
1: <laughs> All right, so I mean, what, like three years ago or two years ago, did you know that this was it this year, or did it, did what, what, what kind of made the decision?
6: Well, the I, I knew it was coming up, but um, some of the things that happened in the last few years, I, I figured well. Now's the time. I'm not getting any younger. If I want to do a few more things, uh, be able to travel or do something and go, you know, go wherever I want to go. And then the time, the time is now. And, uh, you know, things are, uh, things have changed, especially with COVID. And, uh, and it's getting more and more difficult to get kids out interested in the game. So I figured, well, it's time for a younger person to get in there and take a shot at it and and see what they can do.
1: You you always you know I I just recently saw a movie about what, what like in the movie the, the 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 guy was struggling and fly fishing was like therapeutic to him. For you like is cutting grass and just fixing fields the enjo- most people look at it like. How does he enjoy it that much? I'm guessing it's like therapeutic or is it just a work ethic thing? That's part of the job and I'm old school and that's what you do.
6: Yes and yes. (laughs) It's therapeutic to a certain extent. Uh, You can put your headphones in and listen to your music and just get away from everything. But it's also the, the work ethic and trying to produce something that's, you know the kids can be proud of it's a it's a safe uh, surface for them to play on, and uh, you know that's I always look forward to trying to do make the field as as good as we could get it, and thank goodness we had a lot of good parents that helped us out to help build the fields and and help maintain it to, to a certain extent.
1: Now you you've uh, obviously coached against and coached on your own team, a lot of great players over the years, from the Conrads to to Paul Baco. I mean, is it um, – I mean, do it? does any team or players, like, kind of stick out to you?
6: You know, I mean, I was fortunate enough to, to coach two kids that stayed in the majors for over 10 years each, and Paul Baco and Lance Cormier. uh but besides those, I mean, I've had great, great kids, and, and you hate to start naming them because you're going to forget somebody, and right. somebody's going to get P.O.'d and stuff. It, 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 they didn't have to be the greatest kids on the field. I had, I had some. I was fortunate enough to coach one kid that got got a, a scholarship to, to Duke. Another one got a scholarship to Vanderbilt. Another one went to MIT. And I've got one at the, uh, at you know, Notre Dame right now uh, that's going to graduate in aeronautical engineering next month. So not next month, next year. And, uh, you know, it's just been a great group of kids, besides the ones that you mentioned, that the obvious local kids that went on to play at, at UL and do a great job and we're very proud of them.
1: Of all the kids you coached with sport, Voorhees, the biggest couillon you ever coached? <laughs>
6: Literally and physically, yes,
1: absolutely. (laughs) Uh, He 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 is a treasure in a lot of different ways. All right, so I know that you know y'all have field issues and construction of the school issues, and we're in this split era. I mean, it is that. Did you get alienated? Like if everything like it was like it was 20 years ago, do you think you'd still be coaching or you are or, or you or, or would you still be retired do you think?
6: If things were like they were 20 years ago, um, I, w- I would hope that we have made some progress you know uh, I know we made progress from 37 years ago when I first took over and, and the parents were great and raised money and helped us build and put that field together that we had out there. But, uh, you know, I, I think, I would, first of all, I wouldn't change anything. I, I enjoyed my entire time. And it's, it's just now the time to, to, to move on. And it's a great time to move on because I don't have to put up with the construction that's going on out there at, uh, at Lafayette High. And then when I finish the construction, they have to tear down the old school, so that's going to be a mess for the next two and a half years. So, plus with the kids on campus, and then if they when they decide to get off their backside and actually break ground at Milen Park to build a new field, that that'll be nice, that'll give me something to do too. I'll get to go out there and, and argue with the contractors. And, Tell them, no, that's not the way you do that.
1: <laughs> All right, so what odds, we're in a gambling society now, what odds should someone have that Sam Tully is going to be on the school board about five years from now?
6: Um, I, I'm not a prognosticator. Uh, uh, I guess 50-50 because there's only two of us running for that seat as far as I know right now. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping – you know, I think it's something that uh, I've said for quite a few years. I think teachers need to be on the school board. Uh, we, have, uh, we have hospitals that have a board of directors that have a bunch of doctors on it that run it. I, I think maybe uh, people who have sat in the classroom and have some experience might know how what works and what doesn't work as far as the school system uh, is concerned.
1: You also, I've been amazed, I covered um, when your son, Sam, was playing for you, and he seemed like he was a pretty emotional player, and now as a coach, every time I talk to him, he's so calm and collected, like, is it cool to watch him kind of grow and kind of follow in your footsteps?
6: Uh, yes, but I'm not sure which games you went to when you saw him come collected. <laughs> um, maybe maybe uh, that's just
1: off the field when I talk to him.
6: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all different off the field and on, um, uh, uh, in the heat of the moment in, in the contest, you, you know, we all get wound up and, uh, but, uh, yeah, he's pretty passionate, and he's really a good tactician. He's, he knows his stuff, and uh, I hate coaching against him. <laughs> I can tell you that. He does a great job of calling pitchers and, and setting up hitters. You know, he does a really good job, and I'm extremely proud of him.
1: All right, I can't uh, talk to you without asking you, how do you think your Yankees are going to end up this season?
6: I'm hoping to get a few people, more people, healthy. Uh, not stubbing your toe on concrete blocks, and uh, you know, going to be a heck of a game tonight, Verlander and, and Cole. But uh, I think they'll, I think they'll make the playoffs. But I, I still don't know if they've got everything to put together to make a run in the playoffs. So
1: we'll see. Well, look, coach, that's, that's, I know that one in time. I know in time. You you realize, and you'll be running across people. How many people you influenced over your career years as a coach? And we always appreciate how cooperative you were covering you. And congratulations! And try to enjoy the downtime. And I know it's not going to be too much uh, for you. And good luck with the whole school board thing and everything else.
6: I really appreciate it, Kevin. It's it's been a it's been my honor to be working with you for all those years and. <clears throat> Hopefully I became a better coach, and I know you became a better sports writer. Because, Like I told you a couple of years ago, one of the finest articles you ever wrote was a tribute to Coach Rogue, and uh, that was outstanding.
1: I appreciate it very much. Good luck to you, sir.
0: Thank you very much, Kevin. Glad to have been part of your program. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Oh, welcome back to Footnotes Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111 706-0111 on this Wednesday. Appreciate it coach Tully coming on and again I um my, some of my earliest memories um being a young sports writer was you know some of it's American Legion, but high school baseball in that era. Um, you know, we, we we like he said, when you start mentioning names, it, it's it's not a good thing to do because you're gonna forget people. I mean, he he coached a, a pitcher, and Benji Grigsby was drafted in the first round of the of the NFL draft, and I mean the uh, major league draft. And so no, a lot, lot lot of lot of good players, a lot of very talented players over the years, and um and you know I guess you could argue when the Conrads were at um junior and senior, they, they made it to the state finals two years in a row. You could argue that those are the two best teams, but you know how it is so often, you know, that COVID year, it was, it was a shame because they were really good and, you know, they just lost it. And, and so you just, it, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, things just don't work out. You lose in a controversial way or you lose in a heartbreaking way, or you don't even get to finish your season that, that, that COVID year. And so, it, you know, there's so many things, but so it's hard to compare. But, and uh, I know that for coaches, um, it was. You know, it, it, it's hard to compare, but obviously, uh, when you coach for that long, you're going to have a lot of great players, and it's just so tough in that district now. Like the uh, coach Broussard just left. Como to go to Church Point and, and Coach Tillery left Karen Crow and went to Sulphur. And when you're in that district, I mean it. It it might be like I don't know of any sport if there's a tougher district than the baseball district in 35A over the especially right now when you have Barb and Sulphur, Sam Houston, and then you know most years at Katy is real good, and most years Lafayette High's good. I mean you know and you 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 can be a really good team and 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 finish 6th or 7th in that district like easily it's uh it's it's tough all right let's go to the game hotline hello
4: hey what's up buddy
1: how you doing sir
4: good <clears throat> were you writing for the
6: advertiser
1: in 82 83 uh no that, that would have been no, no, sir. I, I, went, I again. I I got hired in April of '83, and I was really young. I was still a junior in high school, and I I, I wasn't doing much covering. I I didn't really start covering a lot until like '84, '85, that that kind of thing.
3: Well, I got
4: you. I thought it was you that had written, and I can't find the the column. Is
6: uh, you and I are the same age? So <laughs> no telling where that thing
1: is. Yeah, but right. It was
6: written about our basketball team and in 1980
4: the 82 83 season we were 21 and 0 at the time and <clears throat> i thought it was you that's why i want to
1: ask now now what high school again were you at
4: north main
1: oh okay mm-hmm.
4: north the third year of the opening of north Maine.
1: right 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 no they had yeah. they, they 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 had some um some you know they did some things right off the right off the bat in that school no question
5: well yeah we had a good time too So, well, all right, guys, y'all have a good day. All right,
1: take care. And speaking of baseball, about 10 years after that, remember they won a state championship with a lot of, you know, Danny's brother. Um, Brent was the coach there. So, no, a lot of of memories there. Appreciate Coach Tully coming on. All right, I said I wanted to, and we have two more days. So, because – with the NBA coaches I kind of had a pretty good idea of who, the, who those were obviously there's a lot more college football coaches than there are NBA coaches so I would I want to um I want to kind of come up with over the next couple of days who do we think are the two or three most underrated college football coaches or does does anything kind of Come yeah, I
2: got a few. I'll have to. I'll have to think. I want to do some studying on it. I don't want to go with my first immediate answer. But um, I, I do have a few in mind already. All right. So we
1: mentioned in the transfer portal there are, um, and I don't. Again, I know how to spell these young ladies' names. I, I don't know that I know totally how to pronounce them yet. The Cajuns have uh, from St. Thomas which I'm pretty sure they were at that tournament that we froze to death. Were they know at that tournament we froze to death in Youngsville I, last I think, year?
2: I think they were. They're a new—they transitioned to Division One, I, I think, like two or three years ago. So they've been a—and rel- they've been pretty good. Like, their basketball team's done well. It's weird. All these schools that transition— to, to new divisions do well immediately now, like James Madison is crazy,
1: and I think the reason why that is is because they're transitioning because there's a commitment to succeed, and that commitment just just trans uh, translate. So um, Brooke Ellis said she's a an infielder that has some pop, as she's hit over well over 400 in her first year. I think she's a possible. We don't know how it's going to work out. Like, even once the season starts, we don't know how it's going to work out. But at first glance, from what I understand, I think she's an option at third base, which has been an issue here for a couple years. She's an infielder that can have had some pop in case, you you know, I think Cecilia Vasquez showed you could see later in the year the defensive potential that Coach Glasgow liked. Um But we don't know if she's going to hit. She didn't hit last year, but she was a true freshman, so that doesn't mean she's not going to hit. But in case she doesn't, I mean, it gives them another option in the infield and a really good bat. The other girl is Denali Laker, Loker, I'm not sure exactly. I'm sorry? Laker. She is kind of like a Carly Heath in that she comes from another Power 5 program and she's got pop like she had over 10 home runs or she had a, she had double digit home runs I don't remember if it was like 10 or 11 or 10 11 and 12 something like that. she had double digit home runs the last two seasons she also pitched some now Carly pitched some she didn't pitch a lot when she got here and he, you know she didn't really pitch a whole bunch when she got here until this year she pitched a fair amount this girl's more of a drop ball pitcher they haven't had a lot of drop ball pitchers so I don't know how that's going to work out. Her pitching stats at Iowa were not tremendous. They were okay. And her and you could tell she hit for pop. And so she she's kind of like a Carly Heath uh, along that line, but a different like she's more of a drop ball pitcher. So we'll see how that plays out. Um he's obviously, you know, the, both of these girls can hit. She's probably going to be a DP. Uh, Denali I'm talking about um, from Iowa. And so she she's more of a DP candidate and pitch a little bit. So I would think of her roughly like a, a Carly Heath. Now, I mean, I don't expect her to be as good as Carly Heath was last year. I'm not saying that. But like, you know, pop potential and can help you a little bit on, in, in depth in the circle. So some interesting additions to the Cajun um, – softball I, as far as stormy consonant I I don't I don't know her eligibility situation because she's already transferred here obviously from Washington uh, and so I don't know how that all that's gonna play out but not a surprise at all all right we'll take a timeout come back finish out today's show next stay tuned
0: This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand
1: in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decide to
0: inflict them with, with the, the whole bounty gain silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a
1: normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. Just out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this Bounty Gate silliness.
0: Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team. Here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back. That might be a fitting song around the Oakland A's right now. Here comes the sun because it looked
2: like it was done forever. We'll see. Could the A's sweep the Rays? Like I don't know. That might be my favorite rejoin we play. Um, and, and out of the, it was a different type of a medicine season. It was an out of the blue from Timbuktu strand. Yeah, which is um, yeah, y- we all know about those. You those gotta like the out of the, the
1: blue from Timbuktu one. Yes. <laughs> No, look, that's what Saturday felt like to me. Like I look, seriously, I know you think I'm crazy when I get worried about series sometimes, but like when they lost the last three games that had four game series in Toronto and really could have won one or two of those games easily. Um I was like, they're going to Cleveland now. Cleveland, they've kind of owned Cleveland and they normally play really well in Cleveland. But I was like, this team, their bullpen is kind of struggling right now going into Cleveland, and they're kind of, you know, they're at the end of this long where they played 17 games in a row stretch. and. Uh, just kind of reeling. I was a little worried. Then they played that incredible game on Friday where they should have won and had countless chances to win, and then they didn't. It's like – and then at the end of the Saturday game, like they were trying to give it away. Altuve, again, did another Altuve thing. Like Bregman's throw on a double play, the ball wasn't – it wasn't well thrown. It wasn't a good throw, but Altuve didn't hardly give any effort to catch it, like catch the ball. Like, don't worry about turning the double play. At least get one out. And then he throws it in the right field. It's like, oh, they're about to give this one away. And fortunately, they won it. But when they won that Saturday game and just avoided the sweep, it was like, here comes the sun. I mean, it was just so relieving because I was worried they were fixing to. Um, and I'm not long-term, but, I, you know, you know me, I don't like getting swept. And so here we are. It is. June the fourteenth, and I know that by the way, because yesterday was my thirty first, and Michelle and I thirty first wedding anniversary, and people all you know a lot of people commented yesterday that she's either Jules, our friend Jules, commented that Michelle's either crazy or an angel, one of the two. I don't think it's either one.
2: <laughs> well, congratulations! Yeah, thirty one years. That's I mean that's 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 a dynasty in <laughs> marriage terms. It's,
1: in in a lot of areas yes in today's world that that is a dynasty 31 years ago the Astros were not very good and we still went to five games on our honeymoon
2: and the Saints weren't very good either right I mean what 31 well they were were just coming off of that little like the 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 92 Saints team was outstanding went 12 and
1: 4 and their worst loss the whole season was by six points but uh but then they had that awful playoff loss to the Eagles and then they kind of went into a bad stretch. Like they were eight and ish They were actually five and zero in '93, and then had the blueprint game at, at Pittsburgh. You gotta hate the blueprint game. And they went to they had the blueprint game at Pittsburgh, and things fell apart uh, after that. And then you know the next year or so, more leads, and then we get Mike Dick. I that was off. It was it was hard to be bad for so long. And then you had 5 or 6 years where you were really good, you just weren't quite good enough to beat the elite teams cuz you were in the strongest conference by far. You were like in the NFL's version of the SEC West there and so you were constantly having to fight off all of these great teams. And and then you're back to just you hire Mike Ditka and you're back to just being as Jules would say a toilet team again. And then and then the and then Aaron Brooks came and people expect me to hate Aaron Brooks. <laughs> Crazy. I was awful for seven years. And then I'm beating the cheaters in Cheaterville at Cheetos Stick 31-27 in one of the greatest games in Sane history, and they expect me to hate the guy. Can you believe that? Can't believe that, no. No, it was unbelievable. Do not do not hate him. Now, again, did it turn out it'd be great in the end? No. A lot of frustration. But it was still all better than the Mike Gidke era in the end of the Jim Moore era. Still a lot better. All right, so we'll see what the Astros do tonight hopefully they they can uh get a win and i guess i gotta pull for your little mvps they beat the rangers last night i guess i mean if you're an astro
2: fan are you pulling Although, against yeah, the, yeah, the rangers angels, i mean the angels are right there now as well so that's what, what i'm kinda, saying or do you pull against the spot. little mvps yeah. i don't know i don't know i don't
1: like when either one of them wins so you'll have a nice day